Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated. Speaking of the man. He's got, let me see what he's got. Let's see what this Jesse Mallon guy's got. I retweeted one. This, your voice. Net worth $1 billion. It says $1 billion. Is that true? $1 billion? That Does seems, it say that? That seems high. Your net worth, $1 billion. Wow. Maybe I'll get laid. I mean, dude. It seems high, but okay. I don't even have a savings. I'm like, I'm not going to say it on the show, but I, you, people will be shocked at how fucking broke I am. Right, because you're a boss. We yeah. were just saying you're a I boss. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, my, you know, I don't have big record money. Like I get those mail checks once in a while. Before that, come to where I'm from, episode 87. Jesse Mallon. With Jesse Mallon. First who repeat was, guest. Yeah. Uh-oh. This is a breakthrough. 86 episodes later, here he is again. No, is it, oh yeah. But it's Eight, almost been a year to Episode our, 87, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're in the hot box. <laughs> yeah. It should be, oh, it feels open. We're here at City Vineyard in the back patio. Thank you to City Vineyard yeah. for letting but, uh, us use the space. Support City Winery. They still sell wine and drinks out of the front door. And support Jesse's clubs, of which there are quite a few. Mayor of the Lower East Side, Jesse so, Mallon. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to give you that title. But. Somebody once said that in the paper or something. It was a long time ago, but I must have stole. Joe it. wrote a song about. Yeah, it. I know. I like the song a lot. But I thought it was about someone else, but you know. No. Nah. I don't want to get embarrassed, but but thank you. It is a beautiful record. So. Thanks, man. Yeah. What's the thing with this? Your voice matters. Tell your legislators to save independent music venues. Is that? Uh, That's I- to write the Senate and write to the senator and let them know that you know. This, we were the first to close the live music venues and we'll be the last to open the bars and the live music venues and that it's, you know, places are not going to survive. The Troubadour is possibly going to close. So many great venues, Great Scott in Boston just closed where, you know, they need real support. It's, it's a big part, especially in New York with the arts, you know. I mean, people come to this city, or used to anyway, to see live music, to connect, to go to Broadway, to go to off-Broadway plays and all that kind of stuff is... Uh, Something, I guess, not looked at as an essential, but I think it's a big part of the human heart, you know, and the experience. That's crazy, because don't you think during this whole time, this quarantine, three months or whatever we've been on, that music has taken a front seat again, though, in people's lives? I think in that a there's weird a, way. a lot more attention paid to it in a, in a simple way. Like, you know, some people were bummed, like, oh, I got to put a record out at this time, and I had a single coming out, and I noticed that people need it. Yeah, and that they're paying attention, you More. know, and, and they're really listening, and maybe watching the the video or even the live streams. Even though it's a lot of it, it's it's pretty oversaturated. But I think that I think people realize how important music is, and when you see that save our stages, and you see how people are responding, the fans, yeah, you see they really want it, and they really, you know, and a lot of our fans that we share, I think it's part of their their daily bread, their their intake that they need their to sustain their blood it's like a family that happens isn't it it's a religion you know it's it's our church i think you know that's yeah. really it i mean people wow. have the right to go and go to a church and do this stuff but this is the religion we grew up with and we all worship it in different ways but it's still under mm-hmm. that same you know 
roof, you know. Are you like an Episcopalian or a Baptist <laughs> in rock and roll, or what oh, are you? What know. are you? What's your rock and roll? I believe in something uh, uh, that there is some kind of higher power, something more spiritual. I don't believe in an organized religion or a god that some yeah. person looking down and all that. I believe that there's, I mean, just look at us naturally. There's so much beauty in so many things, and then there's That's really true. dark stuff. But yeah. you know, you're a person that I look to, and you from your social media, you're very optimistic, and you yeah. take you worship your body, and you're you're use art and creativity and music and painting as a as a healing as a life expression and i i think that's something when people follow you i think they get a lot out of that seeing yeah. just the other day you posted a picture and you're just smiling and i'm like this is you know like i don't know if i would just do that right now if i could do that but joseph's doing that and that feels fucking great <laughs> yeah yeah well yeah my friend took that photo and i just like you know and and then i just decided yeah i just feel like putting out optimism and light right now is what we should be trying to do i mean there's so much despair in the world and there's so much to truly be i think afraid about right now and i'm a big planner like i liked since i was a little kid i'd write something in a notebook in junior high school like i want to play at max's july 15th and manifesting things yeah. and like we're gonna do this and we're gonna play the garden and like you know putting that out there but i also feel that in this time i've taken a page out of uh, listening to my friends who've gotten sober talking some of the the great things that are said in the 12-step program though i do drink and stuff but the idea of one day at a time mm -hmm. and that you can't go too forward and people say when are the clubs opening when are you going back on tour when is the new record when are you going to the studio it's like well i have no control i don't think the people in control that supposedly in control fully know so you have to kind of let this thing just be and go day by day so yeah at least i'm trying you know yeah, you are really good at manifesting stuff. I see you manifest. Like, uh, I mean, it's like, uh, I don't know. I see you manifest your career, I guess, in a way that's very inspiring. Like, uh, mm -hmm. creating success and great albums and, and just also creating opportunities for people around you. Yeah, well... I always like to treat people the way that I would like to be treated, you know, and, and that's it's really important, you know, and I didn't come from a big family and don't have much of a family now, but I always felt that the people I met through this community and, and some of my old friends, you know, I'm friends with people for 30, 40 years, and, and, and that's been my family. And, uh, and same thing with the music community. I always say that you go on the road, you, you make like a pirate ship, you know, your van, your tour bus, you put the people you want to be with on that thing and you go around the world and they represent you and you got people like Harry, my guitar tech, sometimes now filmmaker or, or Sticker or Mark or Jillian and, and these people that, uh, you know, that, that get the sense of humor and, and you just want to live with them, but also kind of be an example of how people can operate together. And that, and that family is something I, I really value. My musicians, the people I've played with over the years, you know, we all know there's a lot of dicks in fucking music and, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of jerks with bag, big egos. And, and it's good when you get a, a I'm good one bunch. of them half the time. <laughs> and I am too. <laughs> in my mind, I was pointing the <laughs> I knew you were. That's why I said it. No, no. How is Harry doing? Because Willie Nile told me. He's he doing was, good. He he's feeling sick. healthy. Yeah, now he's all right. He's he's getting all through it. I think you know a lot of people been getting different strains of this thing. Some people not. Some people wish they did. I think maybe. But Harry's he's good. You know, I felt bad for him because this film, uh, Far Away Eyes, which uh, it's his second film with Christina Ricci, and it's a great script. 
and Harry uh, Greenberger, if you guys don't know, he's my old guitar tech and, and stage manager, but always went to film school for that. He did the video for uh, Disco Ghetto for me, which is a song I had 10 years ago. And Mary Louise Parker was the um, waitress in it. She acted in it with my friend Paulie from Sheer Terror. And she loved Harry so much. She said, um, you know, if you ever direct a film, just call me up. I loved working with you on this video. Wow. So he went home that night and he wrote a script. Which was far away eyes. That's and awesome. while he was waiting for That's her to get like free, that. while he was waiting for her to, you know, free up her time because she had a lot of other work commitments, he was waiting. So he wrote another script, which was Staring at the Sun. Um, and it's a film about two uh, Hasidic girls in Brooklyn, Orthodox Hasids, that escape the, the Hasidic community and go on a road trip. I called it Thelma and Juice, but uh, I think this unorthodox might have ripped it off that's on Amazon. So now, finally, oh, Far Away really? Eyes, the film that he wrote 10 years ago with uh, Mary Louise, ended up being with Christina Ricci and some other folks, and, and that was about to come out. And just like many of us, you got to sit back and take a deep breath and drink a kombucha and, you know, think about the next, you know, what's going to be, you know, the next meal. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking today, I, um, there, I was listening to something, I wrote a poem about it, actually. It's like... Uh, that youth isn't dependent on your body or your age, it's dependent on your goals. Like, so if you have a goal, if you, right. have, if you have a dream that you're going towards, that's youthful. That's like the spirit of youth, you know? And when I think of you, I, I feel like, I think you're probably more like younger right now than you probably have ever been, seemingly. I don't know, I mean, I'm getting to know you more and more, but it seems to me like you're pick, you hit some momentum with Sunset Kids, and you got a lot of success and love from that, and that now you're rolling with that even further, and it feels like you're on a trajectory towards, I don't know, just like well, some of your that, best work. And that's the really new nice. Single I, I too. do. I'm really proud of that record, and it's actually yeah. done the best out of all my records, maybe mm -hmm. since the first one, but maybe even better. And but you know, I'm still hungry, and I still feel like a kid. And same things we were doing. When we were 14, waiting for the van to get here. And mm -hmm. is there beer? And are you in tune? And let's mm -hmm. get a jacket. And is the house is the crowd tonight? And those things. And I interviewed. Uh, took a page out of your book, or everybody. I, I was doing. Everybody interviews. takes everybody's book. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was actually doing these with John Varvatos for a while, and I, yeah. I didn't really want to get into this. I don't enjoy interviewing people, which is maybe we could talk about that after. But yeah. I interviewed Jimmy G from Murphy's Law, and he says I get scared as hell to go on stage every night. And the day that I don't get scared, you know, is the day it's all over for me. And I don't always get nervous, yeah. but I do like the excitement. As a kid, I was an adrenaline junkie. I loved roller coasters and maybe going up to somebody that you want to talk to, even a girl or somebody, and you're nervous and that you have feeling. to really step up. And then going on stage, you know, it feels like you're very much alive, like that first drop on the cyclone, you know, like, yeah. wow, we're here right now, you know. But um, I'm happy with this record, and, and I was excited to tour for, you know, another, I guess, six months we had booked. And we came home. We just got out. We were on a tour of England. We came yeah, home in March, March oh, yeah, 14th. Yeah, I wanted to we ask We got you. out right before it was closing out of the UK. Right. Well, Left we were, Heathrow. He, Ehud he and I were, we were talking about y'all. Like We were like on the phone like, is Jesse going to make it yeah, out? Because like, was looking at, we were looking at your tour schedule. I was like, dude, he's over there for a while, you know, when like, they, when and they right when this the hit. Close of Europe, yeah. So we were out. thinking about you. And I was, it was a really good tour. Maybe the best you know, for first time in a while we were selling everything out and getting that back-end money that's always nice when, you know, the tour does better than expected. And we were about to, 
you know, be in Europe. And it was, you know, I think next month we were, I was going to be at Glastonbury with Diana Ross and uh, Primal Scream on the Strummer For stage. Real? But yeah, it was a couple shows there. Fuck's sake, dude. That's so, awesome. But it'll all, you know, it'll all come back. But we were there and we were getting the news, you know, and it was a lot worse in the States. And, and we were uh, looking at our phones in the van and everyone, some guy, I was like, look, do you want to go? Do you want to finish this? And everybody felt like, let's finish this out. But in the UK at the time, it wasn't as bad. People were still, these British dudes were still trying to shake my hand every night. And I was like doing the elbows. And it, it, it didn't seem as wild until, uh, you know, even at the airport in Heathrow, not a lot of people were masked. When we landed in America masks. and I got back to Avenue A and the city, everyone was freaking out about toilet paper and everything was shut down. That thought that weekend was scary and wacky. And mm-hmm. then it would get worse and worse to... Being in Manhattan, New York, New York proper was like Mad Max dystopian. I think, you know, you were up the block. We didn't see each other. But I laid in for a good while and, and then ventured out little by little and, uh, and even got into it with some people because there was nobody out after 8 o'clock except like hood rat kids on bicycles. And everyone's got masks on. So it's like the Wild West. You know, mm-hmm. they can get away with a lot of stuff in a pack. And luckily there wasn't many people there but i did have a guy try to chase me a younger guy like 30 years old i'll kill you and he ran to my door For it was what? like a movie i just got in i don't know you know i told you the east side was sketchy like i was i, I took a walk on second ave Talk about walk sixth, on the wild seventh eighth street it, it was like back like new york in the 80s yeah it was definitely like that and in, in some ways you know i try to look at the upside of all this i mean i i think that you know there's all kinds of theories on why this happened and we could talk about that and maybe agree or disagree or whatever but yeah i think it's pretty clear that our government knew about this a while before it happened you know that's yeah. been proven and didn't you know react or care and, and do anything and i think that we could have been set up for it and now we're in this place and you know it's definitely a, a time that i never thought in my life you know it's something I, our generation i guess we had september 11th and i was in new york for that and we've had, you know, I guess Watergate when I was a little kid and blackouts and stuff and Iraq and the end of Vietnam. But, you know, people that lived through World War II or I guess that Spanish flu of 1918, but then came the roaring 20s. So, you know, New York, yeah. all these places we love, everything does get destroyed and then has to come back. And it's hard. It's, it's really hard. It's I mean, really difficult. But yeah. this is worldwide. So it makes you feel like. You know, at least we're in this together in a way. Like I always go on stage and say, "Rock music this unifies us. We're the Doctors Without Borders." Like, if you're traveling, I hope that's not the deadly hornet that's flying uh, around yeah, here. Yeah, the murder hornet. The mur- I read uh, like a thing about the murder hornet. Release they said the it's murder like hornet. Boiling hot. It's like someone pressing a boiling hot tack into you or something. Really? I don't know, but but um. <laughs> you know, see it, the Simpsons? Do they go like they they looking for a placebo for the virus, and no. then they kick over the van, and out comes the uh, killer bees. Oh, the next. <laughs> Just they always predict the future. The Simpsons, anyway. But they go, know something. Sorry, yeah. what were you saying though? <laughs> But, uh, you know, the whole world's in this together, and that's right. in some ways comforting. In some ways, it feels like, wow, we need another planet, and we get the hell out of here. But, <laughs> you know, people will be resilient, and I think that, you know, you can't get so crazy where you lose your sanity, and you, you lose... We need light. We need love. We need to, to express ourselves, and, and, and then I guess the financial ruin of, of that for so many people. That's More what unemployment than the Depression more death than Vietnam. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of that where people, uh, you know, I've, I've felt Suicides. It. Yeah. Suicide so. and addiction way up. 
Yeah, yeah. unemployment at thirty million, I guess. A hundred thousand small liquor stores open. That was essential. A hundred thousand small businesses closed. You know, I thought we came here to tell jokes here and kind of like a couple of guys eating lunch, like Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner here. We can. I mean, I like we don't have to get heavy. But you know, like, but what I'm worried about is like the thing like in L.A. where. You know, now the numbers are coming in and, and I'm not a doctor and stuff like that and all that. But like from what I, and there's so many different news sources and you can have like figures from one side of the argument to figures of the other side of the argument and they contradict each other. So it's really hard to like, you know, feel your way through all this. But from what I'm seeing is the numbers are going like, OK, this is on par with with basically a bad flu season in terms of mortality rates. And now L.A., who hasn't even been affected by this as deeply as New York, and my heart goes out to everybody that has been affected by that. That's not what I'm saying. And it's, like, really sensitive to even talk about all this stuff. But when they say they're going to close again for another three more months, it's like, man, when when are you going to factor in, like, letting people have their jobs back and, like, earning a living? And then if, like, people that are elderly and with comorbid conditions can stay isolated and we do this safely but allow people to start earning a living again you know what i mean like that that conversation and it goes with clubs and music and stuff like that letting people like play music shows again you know what i like and and just to keep keep their souls alive and keep the the soul of america alive that way you know what's your your thought it's really frightening to you know maybe 15 years ago i don't know the exact time uh what we do, recorded music, records, albums, what we grew up on became worthless it, for the most part. I mean, there's iTunes, but if you, most people <laughs> right. get the music free, yeah. we don't get paid. It's like if I told you to do paintings and just give them out for free. Exactly. And it's cool and everyone's doing it. <laughs> do 20 paintings, I'll put them all over yeah. paint tunes or whatever. Right. And, you know, spot a paint, whatever. And, and, and it's all free, you know. <laughs> no, so, I know. So I'm... that was kind of a new way to adjust. So they said, yeah. well, the new thing, the new model will be you go on the road and you'll make your money in merch and you'll make it playing live. Right. Well, now that's gone. And this is what I've done my whole life since I'm 13 and, and you as well and, and yeah. so many of us. Right. And yeah, we get mail money. Stuff gets played on you know stations, but... Not every artist has had that much. Of, Not um, every artist gets lucky like yeah, that. Yeah, and you don't always know what's in those f- quarterly checks. And there isn't anything to really set that up. Um, so that that is pretty nuts. And I uh, have been thinking about it. And I started to do my my management and my team encouraged me to try live streams from the house. Yeah. And I just like, oh, I don't want to be some guy moaning into a laptop with acoustic guitar, another acoustic guitar. Like, it's going to be so bad. And I fought them, and then I said, all right, I have no choice because, one, if I do this, I could pay my band. If we get some donations, I could pay them for the tour they lost. They lived day to day, week yeah. to week. My crew, I heard everything that was going on. Nobody was planning for this, and, uh, and even the bars and myself. So I went up, and I just played, and I tried to make it into a where I stood up and had a little bit of a microphone and brought some things from my house and tried to make it like a kiddie show, like the Uncle Floyd show or uh-huh. Mr. Rogers with like Somebody said songs. Mr. Rogers. Yeah, like yeah some, Rolling Stone said Rolling that or Stone. something. But like, and I do a show and tell and then I come out as my friend Bob Strauss, that character. And, yeah. You know, and, and so I made it to a thing. It's called the Fine Art of Self-Distancing. And we started doing it every week. We did like seven of them. Yeah. And, uh, Don't you know, sell yourself short. Rolling Stone said... Um, Best live stream. Yeah, they said the one of the best stream performances of the Stay at Home. And event. Entertainment Weekly said something nice. Yeah, Entertainment Weekly was was really. We got a couple good bits on it, like really, like wow, you know. And I'm, 
I'm not like a virtuoso with the, as a solo guy, but I could tell some stories. And, and that's how the songs are written. So it is in your apartment. It is a yeah. pure thing, but to do it every week. So I tried to change it up, did requests, dedications, did uh, covers, you know, and, and uh, it got fun. And what I got was that my fan base is worldwide. They're really loyal. There was people that could see me in Australia and South Africa and other places I hadn't been in a while. And it connected them in the chatter. Yeah. And there was some community there. And it was really touching. And I was really to be able to help out a lot of stuff with it. Yeah. So that ended the first season. And now I'm thinking about doing a second one. We're actually in the works of doing a second season uh, starting May 23rd. And where I'll do it, I'm going to go down to the basement of this woman I know who I'm partners with at other clubs owns this place that's Berlin and 2A. And they're letting me use the basement to go down there and uh, and just try to set up in there and make take the show to a better sonic level. Maybe I'll have some guests virtually. That's a good idea. <laughs> and then people, once it's set up, all the artists can go in there. So yeah. to go beyond that, when I was, uh, I guess, in my late 20s or mid-20s, I had this fantasy to have like Rock and Roll High School meets Max's Kansas City. And I took my record money from Degeneration, like I told you, from Columbia, and with some other people, opened Coney Island High Club in St. Mark's Place. I went on tour. I didn't know what I was doing. We lost money. People had a blast. We broke all the rules. We got clothes for dancing from the mayor, Giuliani, at that time. Quality of life, cabaret laws. And so I opened a little bar with uh, Johnny T and, and my friend Laura um, called Niagara. And it was like 22 years ago, just a little Sinatra kind of spot just for fun for us. And it turned out to be something. And, and then in time, we decided we wanted another live venue. We wanted to do it right. So then came Bowery Electric and a few others. And so it was always something... I could give my friends jobs. I could have a place to play, even rehearse. My friends could paint in the basement. Like, stuff could be... Jesse, and, let me paint in the basement. And, and when you're not on the road, <laughs> your tour manager could work there and be the liquor guy or the... Man. Like, so it became a big part. And suddenly those places kind of took on their own energy with people we didn't know. And at first it was just our friends. Mm -hmm. and, and now with those all closed... The rents are so high in New York, you yeah. know. So what's the conversation about those? When are they projecting y'all are going to be able to reopen and how? And how are, is there insider conversations along well, those lines? Well, they keep changing that. If you listen to Governor Cuomo, who uh, you know was very um, comforting in the times of Trump and all the other madness watching the news, the first few weeks I, I watched him a lot and I, I felt that he, you know, he was doing his job as a professional, and it was seemed. But to he's make got controversy now with whole the whole elderly and the yeah, old well, folks' homes. Changed. I mean, it's like it's shifted dramatically with him. He was coming off as a hero at first, and now he's become a villain. Yeah, in a way. well, that's or whatever. A politician. Yeah, but, but he just to say, what, I'm not even to get him. What do you or think? Not, and, I, and by the way, I said that too black and white because I can tell people <laughs> are gonna be like, "Fuck you, dude! I can't believe you said that." But you know what I mean? I'm just like, he's a politician. Know, I'm speaking with big crayons right there. <laughs> okay, I, I know there's subtleties. His father and Trump, you know, they came together. They grew up together. They were buds. I'm sure you know, all that's very yeah. close. But but anyway, you know, well, if you listen to what he's saying in the state of New York, they're saying that. You know, we're like group four, I think group five. I think group four is restaurants, and group five will be live music. Right. So that could be, they don't Wait, know okay, when group, that is. Group four is restaurants, group five is. The last I heard, it, yeah. Well, group one is open now, and that's construction. Group two is going to be. A, construction a, a, and liquor stores? Well, that's always been open. But, that's essential but, liquor stores, they <laughs> said. That's an essential. So alcoholics it is, but and I get that because I used phase, to be one of those. Second phase is going to be <laughs> service providers, uh, doctors, uh, dentists. Like uh, urgent 
Agent Cares and uh, all something that. like that. Oh, so is uh, Suzette maybe, going, maybe, going back to maybe in maybe in two? All right, three, so I don't know what three is. Um, that might be retail, maybe be in retail, shops. Yeah. It might be clothing. Like Target's already open. Target's never and closed. And Walmart. Those never closed. Which yeah. is weird. They it's a food. corporate handshake. No, no, they sold. <laughs> Walmart listen, is also uh, listen, uh, I buy my food an at anagram Target. for martial law. I Mart buy- law, Walmart. <laughs> anyway, just saying. Uh, <laughs> hey. um, but it's either four or five. It's last. Restaurants, know it's, it's last. the last, and yeah. restaurants will come before. Yeah. And then they're talking at 25% capacity. That's so that's if you want to get into this. How do you keep the rent? How does the, well, the rents aren't going to change. And a lot of people think, well, fuck the landlords. They should do this. But some of these landlords are people like you and me that have to pay more. Mortgages. It ain't like a punk rock song every time. Like, you know, these people will, will have worked with us a little bit the first month. Some of them, some didn't. And the rents are super high. And if we don't pay up, they could get somebody else in some of these spots. Because people, when they go into a new business, they expect to lose money the first five, six, seven months. That happens, you know. And if you know you got a hot location, so the places I opened up, I still am in New York City with my partners, and those are high primetime crazy rents. So to make those places happen before they even put employees in and open it up, the numbers are whack. Yeah. And uh, even if we get money, which we're hoping to get something to help us out through, you know, from funding, PPL, PPP loans or whatever, it would be maybe unless we can have people in there a band-aid where yeah maybe we'll get through a couple months but if they let us open whenever july august september november and then they say 25 percent that's like a bad night the way we had to run these you clubs money you that. needed shows to be crowded you needed the dance party to be off the hook because you're you have a staff you have rent you just just the rent and insurance and tax alone so it, it's really freaking scary to think that, yeah, well, we could look good for a little while and, and this and that. And, but even the vibe of doing 25% for the artist, artists might have to play like two sets. We might have to have tables and have people ordering food. No offense to the wonderful city winery. They do it great. I, we don't never, you know, we give people a hot pretzel and a kick in the balls. You know, it's like it's it's insane. Yeah, I love that co- picture you posted with Kerouac looking. Yeah, in there. Well, I was that, just trying to give some hope and history to it. Dude, that I love photo that. is a photo that Ginsburg shot, developed it on Avenue 8, the candy store. And it's Jack Kerouac looking into a bar that's now Niagara. And um, bars get grandfathered. They, you know, Pyramid was a bar 100 years ago. Like, they, bars come where bars are because of the laws with churches and schools. So, uh, yeah, and it still looks like it could be one of our friends, like, looking in there, you know. But uh, I know, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a wild it? time to think. So then they open the places. And it's then funny to at- think we're future legends like that. <laughs> <laughs> Even Ehud. It. I'll see you at Ehud's Naropa <laughs> Institute up in uh, Inwood. <laughs> we'll all be telling stories, the culture. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, you get like, you know, tomorrow's Joe Ramon's birthday. And you know what? Wow. The Ramones didn't make a lot of money when they were alive. But dead, you know, it's, it's, they're huge. They play them at yeah. ball games or whatever sell the t-shirts whatever but i think that it's going to be really really tricky and interesting to try to figure out how to open venues even some of my tours overseas they're talking about coming back but then they're talking about half full and then they're talking about half pay yeah and then they're talking about the airlines being jacked up so you can get kind of nuts but i'm working really hard with, with a few friends to try to come up with this live stream thing that could be from clubs but not just be you know, like the songwriter sterile thing where there could be social yeah. distancing separation, but also 
give as much of a connection and maybe there's other guests and, and the community works together and you know it, it's kind of like uh, Sesame Street meets Jules Holland and you know Ron Jeremy uh, politically correct non-gender Pacific Starbucks uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think do you think that there's a conspiracy about people who just don't know how to have a good time trying to like fuck up everyone that does know how to have a good time I'm kidding. But, I think you know. there's some anger. Like, <laughs> but, I think, you know, but, I'm not yeah. wearing the mask now. And w at one point, my mask, well, like, was sliding off. Apart. What? Yeah. We are 10 feet apart. Oh, yeah, he's no, talking about outside on the street. Outside. I had the mask slide off. I had the real mask. And it just kind of slid yeah. off for a little bit while I was, like, walking. And someone so came up to me out. and just went, what I have at? And I know maybe it's fear, but I think a lot of this stuff gives people yeah. uh, an outlet for, for a lot of pent-up anger. It's true. And it's a time for compassion. It's a time to... You know, a hundred percent. I have a mask. I, I, I've like, you know, it, like I've seen the memes, too. It's like if you could smell a fart through uh, jeans <laughs> and like yeah. that, then a virus ain't getting stopped through a bandana. There's another meme, too. It's like a guy in a hazmat suit saying, here's what scientists use to prevent viruses. And it's a guy like fully, you know, because your eyes need to be covered. Everything like yeah. viruses are super tiny. And it says. Here's what uh, scientists use to protect themselves from viruses. But don't worry, your bandana will work too. So it's funny. And I, and I understand that this is like kind of ridiculous. Talk about bro science, that this is not going to protect anyone really from a virus. But I do it just because, like, that's my opinion. But, and from what I've- you Do it out of respect. What, but I do it as respect. You also get arrested if you don't, but yeah. I do it for respect for other, for other people. I was talking to my friend Greg, and he's like, yeah, it's about, like, it's about respecting your fellow man and like, and, yeah. and, I, and I'm down with that. But so we like, don't what, know. That's I, the thing. We don't know if you can get it again, if you can give it again, if you can be a transmitter and have no symptoms. Yeah. We don't know. They don't know anything. Don't and, know anything. you know, they'll make their vaccine and get us hooked on that shit. And I don't know. I, I just, uh, I feel like, too, it's like when this first happened and we didn't know and it was projected that there was going to be millions of deaths and the hospitals overwhelmed and everything like that of course we did what we had to do and we flattened the curve and we we uh sequestered ourselves for a couple months and that's good but that's happened what's you know next? what's next the, yeah. the curve is flattened and we can't live in a state of perpetual fear for the fact that you know like forever like death happened before this too yeah. and, well, and i don't like, know when it's going to air but you know just hitting spring in new york now and People, you know, living downtown are, are just going out and, and they're not wearing masks and they're doing whatever they feel because they need it. It's sanity. I get it. You need to connect. It's especially all people, but young people. I don't know how I would have been in my 20s if I would have stayed in for eight weeks. You know, maybe yeah. I wouldn't have. But I'm a germaphobe, so I probably would have been scared. But I think that in a couple of weeks after all this people going out and everything, we're going to see the numbers and see if it really like goes up, you know, hopefully the numbers are accurate and real that well, we get. <laughs> I know you're, I see what you're thinking, but, <laughs> but, um, I see the wheels, but you know, it, 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 it will get a sense. I mean, I, you know, I saw it, like we had friends that got sick from this. Like it, you know, it, it was yeah. real. I mean, oh, no, some it's were real. maybe I, older. I have friends yeah. that got sick with it. And, I, and we it, lost great people. So definitely. I, I don't think it's a fake virus. I and, definitely, we, and, and there are a lot of friends of mine that are recently saying to me, you know what? It's going to have to be survival of the fittest. You know, death's always been there. It's like cancer. It's like I don't whatever. mean it that coldly, though, either. But, I think there's a sick because also you're going to have to go back to living or you might starve. Well, the effects of 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 the lock, the continued lockdown are de are devastating as well. And those numbers need to get talked about. The suicides, the unemployment, 
the you know addiction, all, the yeah. addiction, the death of death of soul, death of dreams, uh, of, of all that too has to get violence too have to get factored into it, you know, and the death of rock and roll clubs, you know, death of rock and roll maybe we're gonna turn it to cyber folkies. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I know we're all just a bunch of folkies Joe, now. But you know what I find funny is like when this first started, people turned to music right away. All right. those all those big webcasts with Eddie Vedder and mm -hmm. and Taylor Swift. But then, the, like, the national conversation is not about venues and reopening and what are musicians going to do. Mm -hmm. uh, like, yeah, music recently, the, the focus is on sports. Like, everyone, the president, and mm -hmm. everyone's doing segments. How are sports coming back? Mm -hmm. And that's you like, okay, dude? Murder Hornets? And that seems to be like more of a concern for people than live venues, uh, which are also a huge business. Yeah. Not well, maybe they haven't figured. Maybe they haven't, aren't thinking about it yet. No, no I'm saying no like one is once, thinking about it. If somebody hears about the Troubadour closing, or if somebody hears about CB, uh, you know, um, Bowery Electric closing, or something. Yeah. God forbid, I mean, I'm reading. You know? I read about Great Scott in Boston. I'm reading about the Troubadour. It's been hanging on. I saw Bernie Taupin posted some, a whole bunch of people. I mean, it's we're trying to get the word out. We're going to get through this somehow and rock and roll and this lifestyle and art. It's going to burn hot again. And we're going to, you know, there's going to be some way because mm -hmm. people just need it. And the kind of people we are, we're not going to say no. And we're, we're going to find a way to, to express ourselves and to bring that out. But having to do it in these guidelines, you know, has, has been making sense for a while. You know, I, I didn't have, I was doing my shows alone and not with the band. And I see other artists, they have the groups in there, maybe six, seven feet apart. Dropkick Murphy's just announced they're going to do Fenway Park with Bruce Springsteen. I think he'll be virtual, my favorite new word, <laughs> but they're going to go into Fenway and play and broadcast a stream. But we all know, I mean, it's not the same. I would go on stage for years before this and tell people, get off of YouTube, get out yeah. to a real record store, stop ordering on Amazon. Home fucking is killing real sex. <laughs> you know, not, not. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, you need to get out and be part of, what was that <laughs> old bit about cassettes? Home uh, taping is killing uh, records. And then it was like, home fucking is killing prostitution. It was like, it's a joke. But there's nothing Relax, like- Relax, everybody, yeah, jeez. There was nothing about like better than getting together in a dark room with lots of people and being at a real show yeah. and connecting and feeling the air going through the speakers. And, and being with strangers in that community, that church. And so it's, it's still, you know, I, I wonder, like, all right, this thing did happen. Did they make it in a lab? Did it happen in the wet markets? However, it, government flew, whatever it was, mm. it's here. And now people are at home, and Amazon is going great, and Netflix is going exactly. great. Exactly. And, and they got us on the little phone, and everybody's just like, programming, maybe they're going to enjoy ordering programming. the drinks in. and Programming. But, there's a thing called the human connection and there's a thing called loneliness. And, you know, you can swipe someone and say, come over to my house. We have to have a date or whatever. But it's a lot more comfortable for people to meet in a public place where they feel safe. Yep. And there's other people around and a different conversation strikes up. And, and if you don't like that person, you could leave and you're not like there. There's something great about being amongst humanity. And that's yeah. why I live in New York and why I travel and tour to be around people and connect and learn something and, and yeah. have that that live in-person experience so i love the live stream i'm doing but Hallelujah. i hate it <laughs> what about you yeah, you're good you at have it. a show on we are on the air well, is that like a pop a pop, proper podcast um it was like just an interview thing they'd asked me to do something linda perry and danita sparks from l7 and a, a bunch of other folks were doing this thing it's a new channel called we are here and it's amazing and so i started to do stuff and now I think I'm going to be taking some of that, like it was an hour interview like this. And I like talking, but I don't 
love interviewing people all the time. So I'm going to do a small conversation at the end of my live stream, like at Berlin, mm-hmm. that's like at the bar, kind of hanging, and a little bit shorter, or a good amount shorter, and just as an extra thing. So I have a different friend join me each week. Mm-hmm. But the, the longer interviews I did with them, I think I did about six or seven, and, and it was great to talk like this with friends that are artists that yeah, I respect the HR on, I saw. and admire. The HR interview was great because he came in 20 minutes. Jimmy G had to cancel mm. and I called HR and I was nervous because HR is like my hero and he was he was so wonderful and present and uh, Mike Imperioli. What do you like here. about HR? What's that? Why is he your hero? He, um, well, PMA comes from the Bad Brains, positive mental attitude. Yeah. He was the strongest, most exciting front man I've ever seen and I've seen a lot yeah. uh best tightest band he's very soulful he can be use anger and love in the same mm-hmm. burst you know um and he's maintained a youthful spirit too yeah and he's been through you know he's had a hard life he's a survivor i and i survived but mm-hmm. as a kid he was around here and they were the best band when we were little kids and it would in our community playing at a7 and we would look up to them, but they were intense. They were adults mm-hmm. and we were kids and they were so good. I was just intimidated and he would, you know, speak about Rastafari with me and, and it was all positive, but they were on another level. They would lend us their equipment, which was great. And we thought if we play on the real pro stuff, maybe we'll sound like them, but no. Nah. <laughs> and and uh, wasn't like John Joseph, do you know that guy? Yeah, John it, Joseph, um, I he met. He was like a, he, or he, he loved HR. I always hear yeah, him well, talk he was about a, uh, on the crew on the first tour of America. Right. He was uh, in the road crew, went across the U.S. in a van with no windows and no air conditioning. Yeah in the summer they called it the slave ship or something and they got to california <laughs> and they just blew minds and, mm-hmm. and john then went on to form blood clot um which was the mostly the crew right? of the bad brains road crew uh-huh. and that was uh blood clot with him singing and then um he got in the mags and did that for a long time and now he does mags and then they did blood clot again with with todd youth so yeah john but john's written books uh book on pma and uh he's also book uh, a book on vegetarianism called meat is for pussies i know i respect him yeah. a lot um in terms of his ultra marathon running or whatever he does he's like all. an iron man yeah he's uh, unbelievable with that yeah yeah he's been through a lot he has another good book too his whole life story uh life of a crow magnum or something yeah like that. but um yeah he's a neighborhood guy that i know since i'm a little kid and and he uh always is taking good information and using you know all his social media to try to make the world a better place pma yeah back to hr so tell me about todd youth and todd youth was linked with him right yeah todd played with him well todd was a little kid hence the name todd youth that was in a band called agnostic front for a hot minute then Warzone, and then murphy's law which in the 80s were doing really great they still do great but they were touring with the beastie boys on that first tour and they uh were signed to profile records run dmc was there and Todd did that for a while, and he was this young kid that had these amazing guitar chops and kind of could do anything. So his career would go on after Murphy's Law. He had a band called Chrome Locust. Then he was in Danzig for a lot of years. That's funny. Then he went from Glenn Danzig to Glenn Campbell. Nice. It's like the only friend I'd know from the hardcore scene that grew up in squats and, you know, really was kind of an orphan kid. Did and he play with Glenn Campbell all the way up until the end? Close to the end. He did that covers record and he did uh, Wasn't some tours. Wasn't he in D-Gen in the middle? He summer? was in Degeneration. I left that out. I don't know why. Before Danzig. <laughs> um, and then after Glenn Campbell... 
a few other projects, and then he was in my band, the St. Mark Social. So we played together twice. And I went to Europe my first time with Todd and DJ on the Green Day tour, and I'd never been, and we were roommates. And first I, time in Europe. Yeah, and I learned a lot from him. And he Where was did just, you land first? Uh, we learned, landed in Belfast. Yeah, and we stayed at the most bombed hotel in, in the world, the Hotel Europa. <laughs> what year was it? Uh, maybe 98, 96. And like, that's before internet was really huge, right? Oh, yeah, you were away. You were on the road. You were, you were really on the, on the fucking road then. Like, <laughs> what I happened remember, on the road stayed on the road. I remember when I first went to France before the internet, before you could just dial up your what, your normal home entertainment yeah. thing. It was like really on a foreign country, even in France. You just There's three stations, and they played just nothing but French-speaking stuff in Paris. like, yeah. And then one station was hardcore pornography for some reason <laughs> but anyway so keep it home i don't know yeah. keep it off the streets <laughs> but um yeah todd was was just a kid that a street kid but he had such talent and yeah. he was a hustler and he could be trouble but he also had a sweetheart about him and uh you know people have different opinions but in the end we really miss him and and so what happened what do you mean was people have different opinions you know like people think of like oh this guy was in all these bands and he was he was you know he had a a, a dark side or he got into drugs or this or that but in the end the guy was super talented and yeah so he played in my band st mark social and then um after that i believe he did a couple other projects with john joseph oh he played with ace freely he played with motorhead wow and uh, the guy could just do anything. If we did like a covers night just for fun, he could become the songs and, and really just take on the personality of, of what that music was and, and bring it out. And then he OD'd two years ago. Um, I'm sorry, man. In L.A. on, on fentanyl or something awful like that. He'd been in the drug thing for a while, on and off. On but, and off. And it was heartbreaking because he had Young, a lot of kids. 47. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, he had a spirituality that he connected with Krishna in different times in his life. We would go to Krishna restaurants in Ireland and all over the place. And and so his family decided to put his ashes at the Krishna tree in Thompson Square Park. And then the rest at this holy river in India. So they took half the ashes to each place. So I wanted to give him a great memorial where we all grew up in A7, which is now Niagara. And his favorite band was the Bad Brain. So HR came very generously. I was and, there. I came. Yeah, you invited and, and me. Dr. No. Thank you. And uh, played those songs, Bad Brain songs, to send Todd off, and mm -hmm. people spoke. It was really emotional, but really special. And we all went out to the tree and put his ashes out there. Mm. And uh, yeah, so it was just his birthday, and, and I'd, I'd written a song called Todd Youth that was about through his voice about his his last days on you know on the planet, and, and maybe where his soul is now. And I got HR to come and sing on it and give a little blessing into the song and that's because amazing. he was at that and and so um that's going to come out in august what are the yeah, what, what are the talk. lyrics how did the lyrics go um i was out of time and out of body on a saturday night my phone kept ringing but my heart had stopped and i really didn't want to go i never had nothing i never had much i never had reason to tell you that i'd stay in touch um, there's a line about I never say goodbye it just ends because Todd would leave your band sometimes you wouldn't it gave even me know chills, man. he wouldn't be in another band you know he'd be in another band you'd find out the next you know. day <laughs> you'd find out from somebody else like relationships sometimes with people they don't just say hey I'm bailing they're just gone they can't yeah they never say goodbye it just goodbye? ends they gypsy fade but, yeah gypsy faded but um, I don't want to <laughs> give the whole song away but it's a piece of it but it's, it's a tribute to my friend and, and to uh, a friend of many you know as a guy that 
touched a lot of people. And he was really sweet to the fans. And, you know, he loved to play guitar. This guy's whole life, you mm -hmm. know, was to, to be playing that guitar. And even when he was really fucked up and strung out and such a mess, he still was good, you know. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, we knew, and it sucked, but emotionally it did. But the guy always came through, you so know. So you met his kids back in, in New York? or Yeah, what? well, I, I knew, you know, the mother of his first kids uh, in the neighborhood, Kate. She had a restaurant called Kate's Joint. She fed I us a I lot of vegetarian of food. Yeah, yeah, that was on in the East a, Village, right? Ellie and Abaja, and then um, he has he has a few kids, you know, that that have been uh, around that are that are all special children, you know. And, and um, I think that you know one of them is a musician and has a lot of talent. And, and I just think that recently his daughter, right in the middle of this pandemic and all this horror, his daughter had a kid. And they sent the photos around. So he would have been a grandfather. He would have loved that. And I'm looking at the photo. Maybe it's him And it's like, looks like little Todd. And he's Probably got, him. she's making like a little finger, almost like giving everybody the finger, the photos. So that was like, you <laughs> know, when you hear these nice things during these times, you take them. And, and he would be smiling on that. That's nice, man. Yeah. I'm, one thing I love about your work is that your detail to lyrics. I was wondering, like, who are some of your favorite inspirations lyric wise? And, I, I think you probably like the beats and stuff like that, but I I love your detail with lyrics and it, that you paint stories with them. You want to Big talk, influences talk about that, maybe. would be as a kid Jim Croce hearing that oh, like yeah. on the AM radio, like the stories of Leroy Brown mm -hmm. and bad, all that bad, details in those songs um, that were very Chuck Berry like, who's a great detailed lyricist and storyteller. Bob Dylan inspiration there, I think. Yeah, yeah. You take Chuck Berry and Alan Ginsberg, you probably get Bob, Bob Dylan, Dylan or something. Yeah. But, but um, <laughs> and true. some other stuff, of course. But yeah. I. Joe Strummer, you know, for sure, hands down. Bernie Taupin, those early Elton John albums, yeah. specifically, I always say, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Mm. Uh, these beautiful melodic pop songs and these lyrics that were so dark and pointed about America and about love and sex and death. I agree. And it, Did you, you see know, that Elton John movie? Uh, Rocket Man? Yeah. I liked it. It I, was I, kind of a love letter to Bernie. Which I is loved it. Him, yeah. It really, it made me want to write songs like, oh shit, I got to up my game. Um, Paul Good Westerberg. Made me cry like a fucker. Yeah. That movie. Anyway, Paul Westerberg. Paul Westerberg, yeah. Elvis <laughs> Costello, and Graham Parker would be probably in that mix of people. Um, Polystyrene from X-Ray Specs. But you know, you've produced records of mine and, and we've had so much fun doing them. And I think you've seen the process where, you know, for me, melody it's like a Rorschach test where I'll start singing something spontaneously mm -hmm. and with a melody. And sometimes those lyrics will be meaningful, but they're not finished. And I have to go in and say, what am I trying to say? Yeah. And then I'll have a notebook where I'm writing down a lot of ideas all the time. And sometimes the notebook will meet that wacky melody. You know, you hear the Beatles yesterday. They said it was scrambled eggs at first. Mm -hmm. Scrambled, you know, like things kind of, <laughs> and you have to listen and feel like, well, what is this saying? But sometimes you want to go like, well, it's not saying that. I want to say something really sad with really happy melody. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes that juxtaposition is cool too. But mm -hmm. I always love to bounce. I overwrite. I'll write seven verses That's for great. a three-verse song. And I sat in my kitchen with you, and I do this right. with producers, and I'd be like, all right, Joseph, which you verse do you like better? Yeah, I like and, that. And then we'll do that. <laughs> I did that with Lucinda. And, and to an have your process. ear, that's a big part of uh, hiring a producer in that way. So you know, you've seen it where I've had so many lyrics and they were like all right you better get a commit to this you can't you can't have them all and if they don't work out spare parts into another right, song that's yeah. what i was gonna ask i'll take i mean because they're already good lyrics and then he'll write like a whole other song. set a whole other set of lyrics at least maybe another two sets 
But and it's hard for me. I don't. There. I write in a chaotic way like that, where somebody might sit down and just go from beginning to end, and that's it. Yeah. And sometimes I do that on the lucky breaks, but other times it's the refining, and you know, I can write melodies and chords all day and, and have songs. But I think I'm a decent lyricist, but I have to work hard at it. I think you're you know, a great lyricist. Yeah. I really do. I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, well, I, I mean, you write, and it's and particularly, I mean, actually, write from the self, fine art of self destruction, but also like particularly lately. Like when you put out a, like this latest single has great backstabber, li great lines in it, you know. Yeah. Well, that the autobiographical ones sometimes are easy. You know, we're always trying to like make stuff poetic and have imagery, and sometimes if you just say the truth, like you know, of your life when you're ready to do that, or yeah. it, it sometimes works. Yeah. The first album was easy because I'd always been in bands, so it was a chance to write just for myself and not be thinking I'm representing four other dudes. Yeah. This was like, you know, so the first album was like another, it was like a real first album, even though. That was a big leap for you, too, yeah. from DJN to that. Yeah. But, the, you know, there there are always people like me and my friends always listen to the lyrics and, and, it, and it was, you know, in punk and in hardcore, people put the lyrics on the back of jackets and on walls and, you know, Joe Strummer's lyrics are on the wall of Niagara. I know. I was filming them the other day. I was going to try to write a poem about it, but. What, like you wouldn't Bob, be the first. <laughs> I'm sure. Bob Bob Dylan's like first, I think no, Jack Kerouac said first thought, best thought. And then like but then I thought Leonard, Michael Stipe said I don't know. They all said a lot all of people, people, a lot of yeah. people say first thought, best thought, but then Leonard Cohen came in and said second thought, best thought. Well he, I heard he Leonard Cohen it. takes I heard he takes a year to finish a song, he, he would say. It's yeah. been a year on one. Yeah. So you're probably more in, in that kind of department, or do you sometimes write a song in fifteen minutes and keep it just like that? Rarely, no. I'm more in the tweaking, more and, Leonard you know, Cohen. crossing the T's, uh, the, you know, and dotting the I's. Yeah, you know. And then sometimes the thing you had in 15 minutes, you go back to, and you're like, the band is hooked on what I call the the bullshit lyrics, you know. But there is something great about singing over a microphone with a cool PA in front of the band or whatever that sometimes inspires you to come up with stuff, just having the people around. I think as artists, it, we really uh, feed off of knowing that there's somebody listening or watching or that there's a conversation, even if it isn't a direct one, but that someone will hear this. And But we just need to do it whether we get the feedback or not, I guess. you know. So do you think rock and roll is the energy of rebellion? I think it can be. I think rock and roll has also become the energy of very normal things, you know, like mm. Broadway and School of Rock and uh, commercials and, you know, kitty parks and, you know, elevator music. It's become very normal. Mm -hmm. and, and punk rock as well. It's become a commodity, a fashion thing. It's lost maybe its danger where a certain shirt at some point or a certain hairdo might have really gotten you mm. some reaction. And I don't know how to do that or, you know, so much with... Music maybe, but I think it can be just like love, just like anything like that. Anything that, if it's done in the right way, can really grab people in and be revolutionary. I still, as corny as that sounds, believe that that brings people together. It's it's rhythm and a melody, and whether it's people gospel or slave singing or kids in a basement be stinging my nuts <laughs> murder hornets murder hornets stinging your nuts Malin murder hornets <laughs> well maybe here. now like with the with where we are now in the state of the world the uh the rock and roll rebellion will have new a new significance yeah i always say when things are hard you know that art gets to be you know better and and people step up and you know, I imagine it's going to be a lot of songwriters that probably are already that have their pandemic lockdown anthem. But 
you know, I think it's important. Is it's just how you do it, really? You know, how will it be good? Will it make sense? Is it needed? You know, when Bruce Springsteen put out the Rising after everything that happened three blocks from where we are, you know, it it was comforting to a lot of people, or it, it 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 brought people together to to heal. So there's that. Healing is important, and uh, you know, moving on too in some way, but not forgetting. What's your take on the vaccine situation? Do you think, like, and the potential that it could become mandatory, like if they won't let you travel unless you get the vaccine, or those kind of things that you yeah, hear? Yeah, I don't about. think it should be. I mean, obviously, we want we don't want to spread this, but in one way, if the vaccine came out like next week, that you know the world would be able to open back up again. I probably got a couple shots when I was a kid. I know I did. Would you take it? I don't take the flu shots. Right. Would you take I a mandatory think, I would Bill Gates vaccine? I research a lot right? about it. I, I don't, you know. I think I if you researched it, it, you probably wouldn't take it, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that there's other side effects, you know. Yeah. And kids have, I've been reading, you know, autism and. Diarrhea. you need to, to find as much information as you can and not yeah. drink the Kool-Aid and just go, you know. Yeah. Years ago, I once talked to my grandfather and said, you know, about Kennedy, like, what do you think happened? And he's like. Oswald shot him and that's what happened and I loved my grandfather mm-hmm. he was kind of a liberal guy but came from World War II and he he believed you know this is what it was and mm-hmm. as time goes on if anybody looks at it a young kid and see that well then the guy that shot him they shot him with no protection in a couple minutes after that like that's long mm-hmm. after like the whole thing is so whacked out but well you know so you could believe all right that's what happened and Johnson became president and this and that but that's there, there's so many more things even if it isn't the extreme conspiracies that people might say oh that's so whacked out but we're not getting the whole picture no matter what Absolutely. and if you think you have faith in in their politicians then you know for the folks that believe in donald trump and you look the way this man has behaved and represented us and, and handled himself just as a human being and and, and a as in eloquence or just even humanity and compassion it's pretty wacky and upsetting and not comforting, at least to me. But, you know, I, I know that they, they, they can't give us everything, and they don't. And they, obviously they should, but you have to look other ways and try to make your own opinions. And that's what the music that we make and the people we have had around us and have always been that. John Lennon, you know, always been that. Lenny Bruce, mm. always pointing out this other thing. You mentioned yeah. Ginsburg, you know. And, and if we just drink the Kool-Aid and go, that's what it is, mm-hmm. you know, we'll be, we'll be destroying this culture even more so well we were built we were built on a rebellion a spirit of rebellion america yeah. was i mean and seeking and, and, as much truth as possible americans as well you know yeah. that's we, we left we want to be this place that's free i mean it's wasn't it, you know it started with a lot of bad shit but and power corrupts and it just does and, and and government is made out of people and if you give other people all the power that power corrupts so it's like and, and interesting that you bring up kennedy because that's when the whole thing of the cia brought ushered in the the sort of concept of conspiracy theorist about anybody that questioned that particular and you're a wacko conspiracy that particular theorist. event and it, and and it is true and and you know the the rabbit hole is deep on that one because during that time i guess what george bush was the head of the cia so there's a lot of people that think this whole, everything happening now is all stemming from basically then now and it's like basically it's like about to all come to a, a long uh, con i don't know when it's it started, all about but to come i know that that's when a lot of it's people con- lost faith in you in know government in the government after the kennedy assassination yeah. yeah i know it broke a lot of hearts and also raised a lot of eyebrows to go like what the hell's going on, on and then also in, what about uh, building seven just no, saying no, wait, wait before the kennedy assassination was just in the scorsese movie like their their explanation well, oliver 
Stone. No, no. What no, was no, the, the, uh, uh, the oh, Irishman. The, yeah, the Irishman. Yeah. And the Irishman, they gave yeah. their, their take that the mob took him out. Yeah, well, yeah well, I think he had a lot of enemies, take. so I don't think, you know, yeah. he's pissed off a lot of people. I think that was and pretty Hoffa clear. And you know, right. what happened to Jimmy? There's tons of... Uh, yeah. Well, but it's all connected. It's, and you it, see in the Oliver Stone film where, it, you know, people are like, oh, I just read the Warren Report. That's all that. That's the truth. But connections to Castro with the, with what happened at Kennedy in, in New Orleans. And, you know, there, there's yeah. all kinds of stuff that goes on behind closed doors that... And, and I just think who owns this stuff. I mean, that's the real... If you want to go further and, you know, we're talking about it, but the the, the people that own the pharmaceutical companies that, that spin this whole thing, that, you know, who owns the vaccine? Whose money is that going to go to? Right. And, and, and the other thing, too, is it's like... It kind of comes down to like your faith in in the and this gets into ropey territory for a lot of people, but your faith in God's like the fact that your faith in God, the fact that we were created with this immune system that if we call like built it and like you mentioned uh, my Instagram earlier and like the sort of I promote this sort of health and taking care of yourself and the idea that you can build up your immunity system to to degrees that really protect you against these viruses that are swimming around us all the time anyway like our we're you know I like again I'm not a scientist but we're full of viruses and viruses are all around us all the time so your body your immune system is meant to like deal with it, yeah. deal with it yeah. and, and you have to do things to cultivate that through fasting through not eating things like high fructose corn syrup processed through like foods. processed foods and all that other stuff like you can and 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 supplementing with like you know really good quality vitamins and all that and and it's like to me it's like if people if the government was really concerned about people they would be promoting these kind of things and there would be like programming on netflix about like hey take care of yourself don't eat processed sugar don't eat the you yeah, know well, there's documentaries about that okay but, people but you don't, know you don't know what i mean because they you don't know. see an immediate and you can build your you can build your immune system, and you really should. And if we yeah, look at exercise, probably the cases, vitamin D, the healthier people maybe didn't get COVID and die, or didn't get it, or whatever. Maybe it'll hit many of us, but right. it seemed to prey on people that might have been obese or had diabetes or had you know yeah. pre existing conditions. Well, the average age of death is above the average age of de of death. Like the average age of death from this is older than the average age of death in general as well right. well whether That's it was made in anyway. a lab whether it happened from the wet market which would be you know we've been messing with this planet we've been messing with animals mm -hmm. so if that you know we've been not treating you know the animal population with any kind of love the earth all of that stuff yeah. it's been we've been just you know pissing all over it and so there's going to be a backlash in that way that makes sense you know we haven't respected our our nature it, we haven't we take what we need you know oil everything but and I wouldn't put it past that, you know, somebody would be messing around trying to come up with some kind of thing in a lab. You know, that, you know, neither, both of those situations would, would make sense to me. Yeah. So. I don't know. I don't know, like, that. I just know that, like, it, I wouldn't want to take a mandatory vaccine from somebody as controversial as Bill Gates. I mean, he's got, you know, like, you know. The the wild thing is, if you want to go down a weird rabbit hole, go on his Instagram and go through and and just like go on any post and look at the comments. The guy, there's more hatred leveraged at him in those comment sections than if, if it's like if Adolf Hitler had an Instagram account. I, it's or Satan. It's really like on that level of just pure animosity aimed at this guy from thousands of people. And it's kind of like what's going on where somebody creates that much 
animosity. And then we're supposed to just like blindly go like, okay, let me have the per the ma the mandatory vaccine. It just doesn't make sense. It's like we're living in an episode of Black Mirror. And then some of like the patent numbers are like oh six oh six oh. I mean, you can't make this shit up. It's like, are, is this for real? Like, what the hell is going wow. on? Like, and, and yet we're like, really, you know, we're anxious you know, like, and desperate to to be healthy, to get back to work, to get back to love, life, and and so yeah. If they say, all right, well, the vaccine the is the thing. That's the stick. Well, it's it, yeah. it, but basically, like the idea is like in terms of conspiratorial wise, the idea isn't that people are going to line up for the vaccine right now because they, they um, you know, we are where we're at and people have dealt with it how they've dealt with it. But the desperation will supposedly come when the second wave hits, which is, you know, which is imminent apparently and also already being predicted by Fauci and Bill Gates and stuff like that. So which is also daunting. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, you know, no, you have to look back to see what does gonna, this all benefit. Who's going to benefit? We, we got to sit done. it out for two, three more weeks. See what happens. Are the country starting to open? New York starting yeah. to open, and see if what we think is true. And you know, yeah. Are uh, you thinking about a bug out situation, like moving to upstate New York, or anything like this, or having like a? a have you thought of that? Because I know I have. Like in terms of, I love the city. I don't want to leave, but I have definitely thought like, hmm. Maybe it's time to have, you know, a cabin in the woods. Has that thought crossed your mind? Um. Well, you know, I think <laughs> you I'm don't going, have to say. It, I'm like, going down with the ship. I think there was a movie yeah. called Harry and Tonto with Art Carney where he <laughs> tore down his building and they just carried him out in a oh, chair really? out, of, out of his lazy boy. <laughs> he, was, he wouldn't leave the Upper West Side. <laughs> Is that the guy that was on the Honeymooners? Yeah, oh, but he my. won Best Act Actor at the Oscars in '74. Great film, Harry West, and Tonto. Yeah, Paul Mazursky film. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's how I feel now, you know, I'd like to get away. I miss being on the road. I'd love yeah. to go to a beach right now. I'd love to get off the corner of where I live on, on Avenue A and, and kind of see some different things. Yeah. Uh, you know, so many things I'd love to do, but I'm kind of in a spot where I'm, I'm trying to figure out the next way to express my art and, and keep music going and finish my album and, and also really... I have I feel a responsibility to to the little music scene that I created down here and to the bars that you know and clubs that me and my friends put so much into mm -hmm. to try to figure out what's going to happen. I don't want to I'm not ready to just abandon it, but there'll be times where I'd love to go and figure out what else I would do. I don't know. This is all I've done my whole life. I'll tell you what. If yeah. if I have a bug out, I'm going to put a yurt in the yard and that'll be your yurt. You can you can have a yurt on my bug out ranch. All right, there you go. Thanks, Joe. <laughs> so, you are you recording a new album now? Well, I'm not doing anything because we're not allowed to be near each other. But um, we were supposed to be done by now, come out in the fall. But I guess everything is a lot of 2021. But we have about 60 percent of the new record done, and that that song Todd Youth and Backstabbers are are singles from that record. Yeah, from uh, Wicked Cool is the label, Little Steven's label. Where are you recording? With Jeff again? We record with Jeff Sanoff and... Uh, Shout out Jeff. At, at Flux and at Renegade and uh, a place called Studio G and, and Atomic. We, we did it in a whole bunch of places, wherever there was time available in between tour dates. Is know? it some of the outtakes from the last record too? There's a couple songs that you would definitely remember, but a lot of it is stuff that I've had and stuff that was written and then... Once you have a bunch of songs, I went on that Outlaw Country cruise and I, you know, loved it so much. But I used the time a lot to sit in the room and just write while I was at sea. And, and I wrote like another 10 songs. So uh, I'm trying to figure it out. You know, I go in with, a, you know, my process. I go with a whole bunch and then we try to narrow it down. And hopefully it's not 
like too big. <laughs> Who's producing? Uh, right now, it's just been me and Derek Cruz. Yeah. Okay. Long time. Driving guitarist. each other crazy. You guys are good though. Yeah. Derek's great. Yeah, he's great. Great band. Who? Yeah. Randy playing drums and. But with the situation in the music world where you might not be able to tour when it's time to put this album out, is that going to affect anything for you? Well, it's going to affect me emotionally, physically, like in some ways, I guess. I think now, I don't know. I bought a bicycle. I'm going to have to just start riding and singing to myself. But Pee Wee uh, Malin. But I think that... Uh, <laughs> I can see that. I think that, uh, you know... It's it it really I mean that's how we do it we sell a lot of merch when we're out there you know the people don't go to records store like we sell T-shirts we connect with people we build the 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 story we play with other artists it's it will be terrible right so would but, you shelf it and wait or um well I don't have a set date because like I said I can't get in the studio to finish it because we're not allowed to gather in in any kind of close proximity ten feet apart I guess we could but you know those businesses aren't open and I have been following you know the rules. For the first time in my life, man. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I want to get it out at some point and get on to the next thing. Us as artists, you don't want to sit on things forever. It gets stale. You want to get on to the next thought, the next feeling. And, and we already started by putting two singles out. So, you know, I guess we're just a lot of unknown. But got to keep moving forward. Like uh, they say in that movie, Annie Hall, like a relationship or anything. It's like a shark. It has to keep going forward or it dies. It and dies, yeah. I feel like that's, you know, the creative process. What's your favorite film? That's too hard. I, I don't know. I know. You love films, huh? I'll give you 10. Go ahead. Chinatown. Chinatown? Casablanca. Dog Day Afternoon. Down by Law. Oh, Down boy. by Law? Yeah. Taxi Driver. Who's in Down by Law? Tom Waits and um, oh, right. John Jim Laurie. Jar That's Jim Jarmusch. Roberto right? Bernini, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, Roberto yeah okay. They're in, the, they're in the prison together in our jail. Mini and Moskowitz by John Cassavetes. Uh-huh. The Apartment, Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon. That's uh, by uh, Roman Polanski? Billy Wilder. Oh, Billy Wilder. Yeah. yeah. Close. Am I at nine? What am <laughs> no, I at? you're at seven, seven bro. <laughs> the In-Laws with Peter Falk <laughs> and Alan Alda. Alan Arkin, sorry. Um, let's say Broadway Danny Rose, Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. And I got one more. The Matrix. No. Um, <laughs> planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Nice. Rodney John Candy. No, John, no, John Candy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, my Rest bad. in peace. My bad. my bad. Steve Martin. What do you like about films so much? Rabbis in the Mist is my next film coming out. Yeah, you should make a film. Use the Schwartz. You should make a film about <laughs> this time in New York. I know. What do you like about film so much? How come you're such a film buff? As a kid, you know, I went to the movies, and that was a way to learn about the world. My parents weren't around. I snuck into theaters. The 70s was a great time. Mm -hmm. Great you know, underdog kind of people that were beaten down post-Vietnam, people just trying to find a way to get through life that come from tough situations. It inspired me. I, I learned about love and characters and trouble. And, and it's just uh, a little bit of an escape and a great entertainment, but I love acting and shots and, and storytelling in that form as an edge, a slice of life, you know, and uh, inspires me to want to write songs and some of my favorite songs are like little movies like racing in the streets mm -hmm. by bruce springsteen or pocahontas by neil young or yeah you know, or the whole nebraska album the by whole bruce nebraska album yeah so that one drives me crazy i listened to that the other day it's great four track tascam recorder most of it's like acoustic solo but then sometimes he does little overdubs background vocals yes <laughs> one of them's got like like uh bells on it or whatever you know well, it was like a mandolin back then. Yeah, and a mandolin on Atlantic City or something like that. Yeah. 
but yeah it's fantastic well cool dude uh what do you think we- i just wanted to ask you if, if just about todd just one other question that i that i was curious about when you guys were growing up together i'm assuming you were both into hardcore and, and listening to that stuff and then which one of you was the first to really be in like a hardcore band and sort of like make it well it, there's different things i had a hardcore band that todd wasn't in called heart attack and I don't know if we made it. We ended by 1984, uh, did three records and toured the country and played, you know, on great bills with all those cool bands. We put out the first single, I guess, that might have been, like God is Dead is sometimes known as the first New York hardcore single. But Todd definitely went on to, it was the first friend of mine, him and Jimmy G, to be on a tour bus that pulled up on Avenue A. And, like, he had the tour bus, and they all went out on the Beasties tour. You know, or they they were out with the Chili Peppers, and they were, you know, going around the world, touring with Iggy Pop, and, and like, the Ramones. I mean, they definitely, Todd definitely entered into another level with with Murphy's Law that that, uh, I wouldn't get into until Degeneration. So when he came into my band... I learned a lot from him about the road, about, you know, really about travel and other places and etiquette of carrying yourself. What did you even, learn? You know, oh, different things you need to bring when you go into these different countries, uh-huh. um, how to communicate in a crazy bar. Todd and Jimmy had things like if you were too drunk and you're in some strange town and uh, you need to get out of there and you had to sit with your friend across the bar talking to a girl, you just do this. I mean, like. Let's cut out. Like, let's go. Oh, right. And if you were really <laughs> bombed and you needed help, you'd go. What's that mean? I'm fucked up. I'm uh, <laughs> like, carry me out of here. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. Gaga. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm about to go. I'm about to drop. You know, um, things to pack. You know, just uh, just how to do things. Some uh, sanitary things. <laughs> you know. Right. Cool. Well, set up a tour bus. Set up a dressing room. Just to sustain yourself. It's like camping or the military. You got to be ready. You need the tools in your bat belt. Yeah. Well, where can, how can people, um, let's, let's promote this idea about people talking to their legislators again, too. Like, what was this post? Yeah, Save Our Stages. Save Our Stages. Com, I think let, let, it is. Yeah. Uh, tell your legislators, how do you say that word? Legislators? Legislators. Yeah. yeah. It's a weird word for me. <laughs> Tell your legislators to save independent music venues. Your voice matters. What and and that and where do they go for that? It or should just, be or just they just tell their legislators. No, there's a click in. It's an easy sign in. Oh, there's a click in. Uh, okay. Saveourstages.com or something. Let me save our stages. Can't remember all these things. I should have had a cue card here. And Backstabber is available on YouTube to listen. And is it on iTunes? And support music venues. And musicians. And musicians. We need, we need them. We need them around. We need art. We need, we need beauty. We need the spirit of rebellion. We need Jesse Mallon. Thank you for coming to our hot box, Jesse. Thanks, Jesse. I like the hot box. I started to cool down to it. It's I not, get stunned. Yeah, it's not bad, bit. right? It's great to see you guys, even at a yeah. distance. And yeah. Thanks for doing this, Joe. Yeah, man. Doing all these. Yeah. Ehad, thank you. Thank, thank you for everything you've been doing, man. Mm. Appreciate you. Yeah, and let's hope uh, all your clubs get to open soon and that you don't Yeah, go hope out to be dancing on the there. bar and yeah. throwing uh, organic Twinkies at each other. <laughs> let's hope so. Let's hope so. All right, everybody. Thank you. Much love.
Hi, this is Joseph Arthur. Thanks for checking out Come to Where I'm From. Please support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash come to where I'm from. We are an independent podcast, and any contributions you can make are greatly appreciated.